Um, yeah, I actually, I'm really, like, I love all of the feedback that I've gotten from people that, that liked the episodes. We're just like, your mom. Yeah, they were like, I really liked that episode with your mom. All of my nerd woke up and was so happy. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Are you interested in criminal justice reform? Do you often find yourself making extraordinarily inappropriate jokes while swearing like a sailor? Then the Getting Off podcast is for you. Hosted by us. Two real-life criminal defense attorneys. Getting Off explains the legal reasons behind outcomes in famous trials and tackles tough topics in the world of crime and criminal justice. We use first-hand sources like trial transcripts, police reports, crime scene photographs, and appeals briefs to give you the information that the public rarely hears about when it comes to the criminal justice system. Our podcast isn't about carefully crafted musical interludes or obsessively edited narratives. Instead, it is a no-holds-barred, unedited, raw legal presentation by two lawyers that have spent over a decade each in the trenches. Previously covered cases include Casey Anthony, Michael Peterson, Jody Arias, and more. Subscribe to the Getting Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Do that to get off now. Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. This is a true crime and horror podcast that brings true stories and not-so-true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm Alexandria Young-Ray with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Billon. Hi, guys. Hello. (laughs) (sighs) So, we are doing the big heavy. We're starting the big heavy. Mm -hmm. The prison industrial complex. Yay. Yay. So, I am fucking crazy. Yeah. In case anybody was wondering, this is just like... I don't think like, anybody was wondering. I, think I don't think now. anybody was wondering. They know by now. But, you know, this is just like American terrorism. This is just like Just Consequences. I've been doing all of this heavy research, and I'm now up to my eyeballs in the stress of... Everything. Human <laughs> and condition of doom and sad. <laughs> the stress of doom. Yep, okay. The stress of doom and sad. That said... This is an introduction episode, so it's not going to be the heaviest, which is good. (laughs) Yay! I'm so glad it's not going to be super heavy. Oh, yeah. Next week's, though, I don't, I think we're going to be able to do it in one episode, Mm -hmm. but we might have to split it into a two-parter because next episode is going to be the racism slavery stuff. Well, didn't you say that we're uh, recording every week so that we can do shorter episodes? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Next week is going to be Mike Gagney. Yes. And then the week after that, next next installment on Prison Industrial Complex is going to be Racism Slavery. So we might split it up because there's a lot there. Because, like I said to you before we started recording, you you can't take racism out of the Prison Industrial Complex to do so would probably be racist and definitely be stupid. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, yeah. like, why would you want to do that? That seems ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, well, the law applies equally to everyone is equal under the eyes of the law. And it's like, no, look at the statistics. Not, like, look at American history. Look at statistics. Yeah. No, it's pretty obviously racist. So I have been I have been just like dipping my whole body into that lately and I'm psychotic now. So, well, that's you know. I mean, 
Is that a new thing? No, that's a new probably thing. I not. I mean, like, you know, maybe it's just. I'm a little more again. psychotic than normal. Yeah, it's coming to the surface. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. But but this is just an intro, so it's actually going to be uh, not not fun, <laughs> but but fun. Slightly more lighthearted. Slightly more lighthearted. We start with kind of that. It's kind of like you know when we do the like uh, the monster episodes and we go into the older history, and it's kind of fun because like because it's like time oh, no. time makes it so that older stuff sucks less to us. Right. Yeah. Right. The perspective. So, yeah, so we're doing some older stuff, and then a little bit of m- not quite modern, modern stuff, but like, you know, just an intro. Yeah, that's nice. The older stuff is like a nice softball kind of intro to it, right? Where we can recognize mm-hmm. that it's terrible, but not have to feel it so, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, intensely. Yeah, exactly. The stuff that like, because we're going to get into stuff that happened in the 80s and the 90s and even the 70s, and that's going to hurt. Yeah in our souls and then we're going to get into the stuff that's going on right now and the stuff that happened in the noughties like stuff that we remember in our lifetimes and that's going to be fucking brutal whereas like talking about the british navy Eh. kind of funny (laughs) (laughs) great (laughs) because i love making fun of the motherland (laughs) hence the name for this outline yeah, the the outline is we got it from you, mom, <laughs> which Perfect. is probably going to be the name of this episode. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, I think. Yeah, I should have realized that was already decided. <laughs> um, do you remember Megan's wedding? I mean, mostly. I mean, of course, I, of course, you remember Megan's wedding. But um, we were we were sat next to like the table of British people. Oh yeah, like it was just all that. of the people that Megan went to school with in London, and like maybe one of her American friends, and they somehow managed to get like a bunch more carafts of wine than we did. Oh yes. And so I went over and I was like, how'd you get all this wine? And they were like, we just kept like putting our wine under the table and then they'd bring us more wine. And I was like, well, I'm going to just take this. And I <laughs> I don't remember who I was shouting it to. It might have been Megan. But I was like, I'm stealing this from the British, just like we did the colonies. <laughs> just like we did the colonies. <laughs> so like so this table. is just me doing that again. <laughs> That's so so any of our international listeners, um, I'm sorry, not sorry for being uh, American trash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think in a fancy wedding is like the perfect place to do that. Like, getting oh already God. getting a little a little tipsy and just like. Fuck yeah, America, this is my wife. <laughs> oh my god, we were so stupid. And like, I'm not like a an American patriot. I'm just a twat. Like, <laughs> I just like being, like, funny. I cannot not make jokes. And so... I don't remember. I, I still have the uh, table number from that. <gasps> yeah! <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember taking the table number. I think it was just you that got it. Yep. Congratulations on the table number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was committed. We we stole that from the British, just like the <laughs> colonies. <laughs> so so yeah, we're doing we're doing pre America and then a little bit America. Awesome. So oh. you ready to get into it? I am. All right. Let's start with debtors' prison. Ooh, let's. So, debtor's prison is actually, like, a pretty old concept. Mm -hmm. I think it came really common in, like, the medieval period, just all across Europe. Mm -hmm. But it was pretty solidly part of England. Like, if you can't pay taxes to the Lord, you end up going to, like, prison? Not even taxes. Like, anybody who owed debt to anybody would get sent to debtor's prison. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I wanted to just start in America. I just wanted to start with American history. And then, I don't know, I was talking to my folks and they were like, here's this and here's this and here's this. And I was like, God damn it. And it makes sense because like English law is American law. Yeah. And so, yeah, everything that is American is a little bit just a bastardization of England because we got it from you, mom. (laughs) So, so yeah, Ditter's Prison is exactly what it sounds like. 
It's a prison system designed for people in debt. And if you owed money to a creditor or you couldn't pay your debt, you'd be housed in essentially like a workhouse. It was Mm -hmm. just a big workhouse. And then you'd be made to work there until your debt was paid. And from what I can tell, these prisons were actually private institutions. They weren't state run. So they were state sanctioned, but I believe that they were for profit. Okay. I mean, that would make sense, I suppose. Yeah. And these prisons charged room and board, which I believe arguably modern American prisons do something like that, where essentially when you get out of prison, you are given like a big bill. That's ridiculous. It doesn't actually, like, it doesn't fully cover, like, your room and board in a prison, but Mm -hmm. it is kind of like that. But basically, you're racking up more debt while you're in the debtor's prison. Yeah. And so, that means that sometimes the people in debtor's prison would actually increase their debt. Really? The ratios are that fucked up. Yeah. I mean, basically, what I'm saying here is the history of fucked up imprisonment is not new. <laughs> this is this is old hat. Great, of so, course. I mean, I shouldn't be. Oh, yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah, we got it from you, mom. So while while these people were incarcerated, sometimes they would be stuck there for years or decades. Ugh. And and you'd you'd be stuck there. And then you'd be made to manually do labor, mm-hmm. and that would go to your debt until it was paid off and you were finally released. And sometimes full families, because if a man went in and, mm-hmm. you know, the women and children couldn't pay their way, yeah, whole families would go in. Apparently, Charles Dickens, his dad, uh, got, got him self stuck in a debtor's prison at one point and Charles Dickens served a little bit of time. That's so crazy. With his dad in a debtor's prison. So that was a thing. And <sighs> that's <sighs> I mean, A, it feels it feels important to bring this up because there's still stuff like that that mm-hmm. exists in America. And it also feels important to bring up because this is where prison starts. Even American prison oh, really? um, didn't start as prisons because, and we'll get to that, but basically we didn't have proper prisons in ye long, long ago. We didn't have like a place to house people for a long period of time for doing something egregious. So if they did something really bad, were they just executed and then we had jails for everybody else or what? Yeah, basically jails were meant for people... Who were awaiting trial. Mm-hmm. Debtors prisons were meant for people who were in debt. And then if you did something really bad, you were flogged or or somehow like corporally punished mm-hmm. or executed. Okay. Yep. So the whole thing was a lot and more so, swift. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which is kind of a weird part of the American criminal justice system that's been bastardized is the swiftness. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) but this institution existed for, you know, before even like, you know, modern England and, and modern America and ye old America, it's a medieval Europe thing, but it also, it was a really important part of England Mm -hmm. and it existed in England all the way up until the 1869 debtors act. 1869 sounds later than I would expect. Right. I was actually really surprised by that, but then you think about it. And the American Civil War and the 13th Amendment, Mm. that was in the U.S. uh, in 1865, 1867, Mm -hmm. like that period. So it's actually kind of all the same time. Right, all the same kind of (sighs) uprising. Yeah, I think basically, like, the entire world was like, maybe slavery's a bad thing. Maybe that's And sucks. so the entire world, at about the same time, mm-hmm. started incentivizing less slavery. Or de-incentivizing slavery. Yeah. Now, that said, basically, the, the thesis statement of 
the prison industrial complex done by pomegranates and pitchforks is going to be prisons are legalized slavery. But we'll get into that. Okay. This is an introduction. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's debtor's prison. And debt peonage is, you know, kind of that it's a broader form of this practice. Mm-hmm also known as debt slavery or debt servitude. And indentured servitude is included in this yeah. okay. concept. And that was also abolished by the 13th Amendment, was indentured servitude. Well, that's probably really good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, indentured servitude was essentially slavery, but for a small smaller period of time it wasn't your lifetime yeah um and the lifetime of your children it was however long your contract lasted for um but it was just that you couldn't get out of it once it had been negotiated yeah that made it slavery yeah um and then i don't know i just found this kind of interesting uh the word peon Mm -hmm. is a word for those who were in Debt slavery. Oh, really? Debt peonage. Yeah. Interesting. That's what a peon is. Hmm. Yeah. So help that's me a use thing. That word more effectively. Yes. It means that you. It means that you are a peon. It means that you are in a form of debt bondage. Ugh, debt bondage. So, not hot. Not hot. It's not the good kind of bondage. It's the bad kind of bondage. Yes. So that's an early imprisonment, essentially. Okay. Now, this is going to feel completely unrelated. Okay. Because it arguably is until we get into the modern American prisons are still slavery. Okay. But I want to talk about impressment. All right. What is impressment? So, also known as a press gang, Mm -hmm. was the taking of men into military, usually naval. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... By force. It's kind of like being Shanghaied. It is being Shanghaied. Perfect. Okay. Yes. So it's like the trap. <laughs> I wrote that it's like the draft, but more kidnappy. Yes. It, that's what made me realize it was Shanghai. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. Being Shanghaied yeah. in the French Foreign Legion. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or the English British Navy. Mm-hmm. So um, I, have a, I have a picture here, and I don't know if I'm going to have any other pictures to go with this episode, but it's a... Artist and depiction of this form of um, filling the ranks. Jesus. And (laughs) literally, people would kidnap other people and force them to work on their boat. That's terrible. So, impressment wasn't only a British thing. Like, for example, you you brought up the French Mm -hmm. Foreign Legion. But it was mainly a British thing. It was a really, really big British thing. The like Britain became the largest navy in the world, largely due to forced labor into their navy. Huh. Holy shit. That's so interesting. Yeah. The idea that like I guess once they're on the ship, they would want to do their best. The ship didn't sink, but still, that's kind of what it was. Um. Oh, you know what? I am gonna have more pictures because my dad uh, went to England kind of recently and went on an old ship, and they actually talked about impressment, which is how all oh, this. Cool. All this talking to my parents and like, oh, shit, you're right. I do have to talk about that mm-hmm. came up. And dad took a bunch of cool pictures from that ship of like, you know, the cannons and the the sleep quarters and that shit. Nice. But yeah. So <sighs> once you're on the boat, mm-hmm. you kind of don't have a choice anymore. Yeah. You can't see land in any direction, so try to run away. Yeah, like, what is it going to get you? Yeah. And then the people who kidnapped you are still fucking there. Yeah. So you weren't happy about it, but you did kind of have to work once you were there. Goddamn. Yeah, you would. And and I actually actually wrote about Shanghaiing in this. Um, So so Shanghaiing is literally the practice of kidnapping someone by beating them up or drugging them or uh, threatening them or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? And then you force them onto a ship 
And then the whole idea was by the time they'd come to, they were already away from land on their way to Shanghai. Oh, yep. So that's why it was called Shanghaiing. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you basically had no choice but to join the crew. Yeah, like, what are you going to do? Band together to survive, bud? Yeah. Dang. And what was really common in the British Navy was you'd have, you know, a couple of, like, high-ranking, more than a couple, like, like a, a section of the the group of men that were manning the ship mm-hmm. who were, you know, high-ranking military officials that were proper British military men. Right. And then the rest of the ship, like, all of the people who were running the guns and doing the ship maintenance and doing all of this other shit on mm-hmm. the ship were kidnapped men. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the big things that uh military officials would do on these British ships was protect the captain from their crew. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because oh everybody there was unhappy to be there. Wow. So one big source of press gangs was was this tactic. It was kidnapping people from seaport towns, mm. especially taverns. Well, that makes sense. Have I have I ever told you about Edgar Allan Poe and how so there's a a million theories on how they thought he died, you know, mm-hmm. from from alcoholism to rabies. And I've actually heard a theory that he was shanghaied or there's a there's a different thing that's basically shanghaiing where you drug somebody or beat them up and uh-huh. then make them vote a whole bunch. Really? Yeah. But instead of on a ship, you end up in a voting booth a million times, but with different wigs. Um, uh, that's so crazy. So I've heard a theory that he was shanghaied and that's how he died was basically he was like drugged and beaten to death. Aww. And it's kind of a legit theory. <laughs> really? At that time? So- yeah. Yeah, no, it, it actually makes a ton of sense. Shanghai for voting purposes was like a, a common enough thing that they could have Oh, yeah, him. that was actually a very common thing. That's so nuts. Was like kidnapping random dudes from taverns and then forcing them to vote a bunch for the candidate that you wanted to win. That's so nuts. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> it's not a thing anymore, obviously. Right, obviously. But <laughs> it definitely was a thing. That's so crazy. So... So yeah, that was that was one of the the big sources of Shanghaiing. But the more common source of of getting pressed men was literally boarding merchant ships mm-hmm. and stealing their crew. Oh my god! Like like good old fashioned piracy, but you steal people instead of goods. Yep, that sounds a lot like slavery. It, it sure is. <laughs> and so this practice actually goes back to the 13th century. You know, mm-hmm. jumping onto people's boats and stealing their people. And stealing their people. Um, but it was actually officially legally sanctioned under Queen Elizabeth in 1563. Wow. Which sort of made it like an official draft policy. Holy but shit. again, more kidnappy. Way more kidnappy. Way more kidnappy. <laughs> and, you know, I guess we could get into the politics of the draft, but... <laughs> uh, oh, dear. So beyond, like, the weird forced labor, Mm -hmm. this relates back to the prison industrial complex. Yeah. Because in 1597, the Vagabond Act was passed. Okay. Which literally legalized impressment of men of disrepute into the Royal Navy. So if they had a bad reputation? So basically, the easiest target for forced labor were the poor and or already imprisoned. Mm Mm-hmm. If you were if you were a vagabond, if you were somehow uh, criminally charged with whatever, you were likely to become impressed into the Royal Navy. Oh man! And so basically, there is a pre-American history in England of taking people who may have not even committed that big of a crime and. Gaining forced labor out of them. Yeah, okay. And and so that's why it's this big, we got it from you, mom. Mm-hmm. Because, man, <laughs> we Americans really, really, really want to not be England. And English really, really, really want Americans to not be England. 
Yes. But guess what? <laughs> guess what? Kind of America are. is just England. But, you know, bigger. <laughs> you know, bigger. <laughs> yep. I feel like you're trying to alienate any potentially, like, any British listeners we potentially had. <laughs> I'm sorry, British listeners. All three of you. <laughs> so, impressment was was literally how the Navy, the British Navy, mm-hmm. filled their ships for the entirety of the British Empire. Great. Of course. That makes sense. It was actually one of the major causes leading to the War of 1812. Oh, really? That that was, uh, Britain kept kidnapping American mariners for British ships. <laughs> <laughs> and so America was like, you know, and there was a bunch of other stuff. Like, there was like, you know, dudes, <laughs> there was like, there was like French, you know, yuck. And there was like, um, Native American and indigenous peoples yuck and and all of this other stuff and like general yuck with Britain but yeah. a big cause of the war of 1812 was British people kept stealing American people <laughs> for their ships oh my god and um, even after the Napoleonic Wars Britain passed a law that limited impressment service to no more than five years and declared that one man Cannot be impressed twice. <laughs> well, that's nice. Yeah. So they, they limited impressment, but they still A were like, no, no, it's totally still legal. Just like, like, again, it wasn't until 1869. Jeez. <laughs> so, hey, y'all, we got it from you. And that said, a lot of modern prisons across the world are based on the American penal system. So... You know, it's not even just like a we got it from you, mom. It's like a oh, we are actually a global like that's how it works. Yeah. You know, different s- cultures and civilizations influence each other, especially when you interact a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, let's get into intro prison industrial complex. Let's. So, what is the prison industrial complex. What is the prison industrial complex, Alex? <laughs> what is the prison industrial mm. complex? So it was first coined by Mike Davis in The Nation in an article written in 1995, I believe called Hell Factories in the Field, a Prison oh, wow. Industrial Complex. And it was it was referring to the 16 br- prisons built over the previous decade in California. Holy shit, 16 just in so California. It was just California and it was just the 90s. And honestly, we're not in, we're not even into like the ridiculous privatized prison yet. Uh, Of course not. Like, like there are privatized prisons, Mm kind of, at this point, if I recall correctly. But, um, yeah, there definitely was. But it's not as big, Mm -hmm. even remotely. But it's definitely... I mean, like we talked about in Attica, that was a 1971 situation. And we're going to refer back to it a lot mm-hmm. because, like I said, it's kind of an intro story. Yeah. They were using slave labor of prisoners. Yeah. And so this is a capitalism thing. Prison. I mean, ultimately, it seems like it. Yeah. I believe I believe the quote that is the... Um, The definition is that the prison industrial complex is the collection of social structures, systems, and policies that work together to confine more than 2 million American citizens. Ouch. And it's a mixture of institutionalized racism and leftover slavery bullshit Mm -hmm. and the war on drugs and mass incarceration. And it's this big machine of... Wealth and greed and politics and corporations and feeding off of and just that basic emotional argument that like bad people deserve bad things. It's so it's so impressive yeah. how so many people will go along with completely appalling shit just because they're like, oh yeah, well I don't want to be the person to say that like child molesters should have like you know basic human rights in prison. And it's like no, everyone should have basic human rights in prison. Yeah, and yeah. It's like it's weird that. Uh, Everything I feel like this industry has probably been allowed to get to the point that it has gotten to 
purely because people are like, oh, well, they broke the law, so fuck them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a big part of it, is that, like, this is a natural <laughs> direction of unbridled capitalism. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is the history of the world. It's not even just capitalism. It's just greed. You know, yeah. a bunch of people that are relatively privileged take advantage of a bunch of people that are relatively marginalized because they can and it makes their life easier mm-hmm. and it makes their life better. And they don't care about the marginalized people because they're getting something out of it. But in this situation, we have this giant social history that makes it so that not just the people that are benefiting Mm -hmm. but all of the people even the people that are actually being hurt by it can support this system because they believe that bad people deserve bad things yeah that's so fucking. and they believe that these people are bad people right because it's the only way to justify they have to be bad people because look what's happening to them yeah and um we're probably going to talk about this a lot, especially in the next episode. Uh, not the next episode, the next uh, installment. Mm-hmm. This documentary on Netflix right now, I highly recommend it. It's very good. It is very intense. Please do not take notes while you're doing it. It took me three hours to get through one hour of content. Oh, man. <laughs> because I was taking so much notes. But it's called The 13th. Mm-hmm. It's Or actually, it's just called 13th. It is about the prison industrial complex. It is through the lens of institutionalized racism. And um, at one point, they're talking about there is this belief that is throughout the American uh, culture, that is throughout American society. And we'll get into this Mm -hmm. when we talk about it officially, but that black people are inherently more dangerous, inherently more criminal. Mm -hmm. And even black people... Will buy into this belief. Dang. You know? Yeah. Because it's so widespread. You know, it's kind of like women who think that they're bad at math because they're women. Right. You know? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah. just because that's not true doesn't mean that believing it doesn't kind of make you feel it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? For sure. I see what you're saying. And I mean, that's a that's a, a sociological and psychological thing that happens is, I believe it's called uh, confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. You expect to see something and so you do. Yeah, exactly. And and it's and it can be internalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was actually when I was in psych undergrad, basically all of the psych studies are actually studies on psych undergrads mm-hmm. because every psych class you take requires you to participate in so many studies. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. But when I was in a psych undergrad, uh, I was in one of these studies. And so I went in. I didn't know what I was doing. I just went in. And they made me read this uh, scientific article mm-hmm. that said that they had finally proven that women actually are worse at math. Ugh. And then they made me take a math test. Oh. And then in the debriefing... They were like, sorry, that was all bullshit. We're actually testing this internalized confirmation bias. So how did they, did they have like original math scores from you from before or what? No, they, they it was a, it was a, if we tell, so, so basically probably the control was having women come in and just fucking take the goddamn test. Oh, right. Right. And then, you know, I was part of, you know, group B, uh, and I was told that I was bad at math before I took the test. Right. And they were testing, like, do women score worse on math tests if they are reminded that they are supposed to be bad at math because they're women. Right. I'm sure um, they do. And that's actually, that's actually a universal thing. If you remind an Asian person that they are Asian before they take a math test, they tend to score better. Oh, that's super funny. So it's just... <laughs> basically... Um, even though stereotypes are generally bullshit, they do reinforce behaviors. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. So, under no circumstances does anyone involved in pomegranates and pitchforks believe that black people are more criminal. We will say 
that our whole society believing that black people are more criminal is harmful to the black community. Uh, Very well put, yes. I don't think that's a particularly hot take. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) So the prison industrial complex, getting back on track, is derived from the military industrial complex, Mm -hmm. which is the... uh, it, It was from an Eisenhower speech, I believe, as he was leaving the White House, that was the unchecked growth of national defense budget budget and concomitant privatization and outsourcing of military contracts. So basically the interaction of government mm-hmm. and private corporate interests is not good. Is what he's saying. <laughs> I mean, especially in the military mm-hmm. industrial complex and the prison industrial complex. I mean, yeah, generally if you if you take politics and corporate interest and shove them together. I mean, that's how you get the tobacco lobby. Oh, I recognize that. I don't think it's good. I'm just trying to understand (laughs) what side of the fence he's coming down on in this quote. Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying in this quote. Yeah, is that... And, you know, it's actually... It's not funny, but what other word do I have to describe it? Funny. But military, the military-industrial complex actually does feed into the prison industrial complex in multiple ways oh really yeah from the militarization of the police force of the american police force okay yeah to (laughs) the forced labor that is involved in the prison industrial complex actually being used to create things for military use Mm. so it's really feeding itself yeah and here's another take that is not my own take. It was, but I mean, I don't have the right to speak for black people. So it's probably a good thing that this isn't my take. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the sources that, I, that I've that i done some of my research from is, oh God, I think it's called Brunch and Budget. It's, it's literally like budget. a financial aid show. Okay. That's uh, like a radio show. But they did a couple ep- episodes on the military industrial complex, mm-hmm. which was really kind of neat, actually. But I believe... The the financial expert is a woman of some kind of Asian descent, but mm-hmm. like the DJ who's kind of her co-host is a uh, black man. Okay. And he was, while they were talking about the prison industrial complex, he was saying, basically, when you are looking at a young black man who is... You know, he's turning 18, he's just getting out of high school, he's just getting into the real world. Or or maybe he's even, you know, pre-18. He's he's at that age where you're a young black man. Yeah. And you have to start lifing. Your options are prison or military. Mm. Unless you're good at football. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Yeah. That was that was essentially his take was like, um, if you are just a regular if you're just a regular person mm-hmm. and and you are and I mean obviously this isn't the case for every single person, but you know, it was kind of a a heavy take when they were talking about like military and and the prison industrial mm-hmm. complex. And it's not a hundred percent an invalid take because w- apparently one in three black men gets incarcerated. Holy shit. In America. It is bullshit. That's bonkers. One in three? Yeah, it is bullshit. And it's a little bit less for black women. I think it's one in 18. But it's still ridiculous and unacceptable and bullshit. And so, you know, you're looking at these statistics and you're like, okay, yeah, I can buy that. Your options when you're entering the real world as a young black man are prison or military service. Yeah. Because if you're poor... Go to college and get a real job is not exactly an option. Yeah, <laughs> an option. And if you're poor and black, right? I was gonna say being poor. I mean, just me being poor and white and living in Utah, which is a pretty good, you know, hand as far as being, you know, if you're gonna have to be poor, I, there's some there's some upsides to the hand I was dealt for sure. Yeah, and even the way that has like restricted and influenced my life, I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, I think we talk about this here and there in in episodes. Um, But like, being marginalized in multiple ways is not like stacking 
bricks to make, you know, one giant marginalized shithouse. It's it's like baking an entirely new thing, Mm -hmm. you know, like the experience that I have as a white woman is going to be different than the experience that somebody has as a white trans woman. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. because and it's not like, oh, well, you just add trans to being a woman and that's the experience. It's like, no, it's actually a different experience that is made up of these multiple marginalized yeah. and privileged classes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's not really related to anything. It's just like a sociological truth bomb that might be necessary in understanding the rest of this series. <laughs> <laughs> sociological truth bomb. Sociological truth bomb. That's that's a good t-shirt. Um, <laughs> so a couple more definitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the iron triangle. Yes. Is another. It's not like a ding, dis- ding, 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 ding. No, it is, it is, it is not the musical instrument. <laughs> it is much sadder and depressing. Oh, no. Yeah. The iron triangle is a uh, prison term or a term for prisons, it is the relationship between government, private industry, and lobbyist politician operation that has been existing since the 1970s. Right. The Iron Triangle. Yep. Okay. So. Oh, yeah. So, so let's just sort of get into some, just a second of, of yucky stats and facts and stuff. Some crime shit. Some crime shit. So there was a weird increase in the 1970s. In like there was all like sorts a proper of crime, right? Oh yeah, just crime, just crime. And there's like I feel like that's come up before when we're talking about serial killers too. It's like why we is have. there a spike in serial killing? Like how much of it was that we just figured out how to find them better and track them and you know account for them versus what was that actually going up? Like. Yeah, and there was an actual proper increase in crime. And there's a million theories for why this happened. And and, and some of it was like um, the baby boomers were coming of age. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, we just don't really know. Like more people were moving to cities. And so we were getting more compact. And like you have more people together. You have more, more crime. crimes because yeah. more people makes more crime. But like. Uh, one solid proper why was there more crime there's there's no real consensus yeah yeah and and i told you the abortion theory for why it started going down in the 90s with with roe Mm -hmm. v wade but but yeah crime has been consistently going down since the 90s and and it's been consistent and in every form of crime from from violent to to non-violent but since the 90s media report reporting especially a violent crime has gone up possibly oh. as much as by uh 500%. Damn. A huge increase in reporting of violent crime. And so <sighs> it is a lot easier to emotionally identify with one person whose story you hear than it is with Statistics. statistical data. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so the violent crime is becoming more impactful regardless of whether or not it's increasing a lot. Mm-hmm. And and I know that, I mean, arguably speaking, we're pro- part of the problem. We are technically a true crime show, mm-hmm. which means that we are feeding into the sensationalization of crime, especially violent crime. Mm-hmm. But we try to counteract that by being extremely reasonable when it comes to the statistics and hope that that Helps. Makes a difference. Yes. I hope. <laughs> I hope. So, so yeah, basically, citizen concern about, like, what is said in the news is more than what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. And there's political implications. Exploiting fears for votes. Right, of course. And again, around the 90s, that became a nonpartisan thing. Republicans and Democrats basically learned that they weren't going to lose elections unless they came off as tough on crime. Yeah. And so, you know, that's how you got. And we talk about this before and we're going to talk about mm-hmm. this again. The 1994 Crime Act. Mm-hmm. That's that's going to be brought up again. And, you know, 
God, we were the, we were kids of the nineties, you know, mm-hmm. tough on drugs, yeah. say no to drugs, uh, dare, say, the dare stranger danger. Was super effective. Oh, it was so effective. Nobody did drugs after dare. Not a single person. Never. Remember when all the drugs stopped because dare? <laughs> I remember that very clearly. <laughs> that was so cool. Wow. Thanks, dare. Thanks, dare. Stopping the drugs. <laughs> Thanks, dare. Yeah. I don't know. Again, it's complicated. Drink. So here's some unfortunate statistics. Hit me with them. The United States makes up 5% of the world population. Mm-hmm. And 25% of the world prison population. Ouch. Yeah. Well, that's nuts. Yeah. We have 1 in 20 of the of the people in the world. Who are in prison are ours. But we have 1 in 4 of the people in the world that are in prison. Yeah, it's not great. Not great at all. At the height of the prison industrial complex in 2006, the U.S. had uh, 2.5 million people incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's now closer to 2.2 million. Yay! But, I mean, that's... Considering how fast it increased... Yeah. That's not a whole lot of downhill, you know? Yeah. And if you think about 2006, there was all of the post-9-11 shit... Yeah. So it makes sense that it, it was would that go high. Up unreasonably and then just down a little bit from like an unreasonable high. It's not really a lot to celebrate. Yeah. We're yeah. still unreasonably high. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about this later. Mm-hmm. But, you know, part of the introduction, there's yeah. something called the school to prison pipeline. I have heard of this. So from the 90s to the 2010s, Funding for the prison industrial complex increased Mm by 530% more than funding for education. Holy shit. And educating a young person costs about 11 grand a year, while housing an inmate costs about 90 grand a year. Holy shit. So, and again, we're going to get into this, but but stuff like um, literacy. We talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Stuff like literacy. If you are illiterate, you are so much more likely to be imprisoned. Yep. And and that's just an education thing. Damn. And so, you know, build more schools, not prisons, is a really, really, really valid stance. But there are still people that are like, no, build more more prisons than schools. That's so crazy. And and there is like some proper yuck to the school-to-prison pipeline. Yeah, I definitely... um, It's interesting watching... I watched the uh, Aaron Hernandez story on Netflix uh, a few Mm -hmm. days ago. And I don't know if you're familiar, but basically... um, Was that the um, sports? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, football player for the Patriots, like, in 2008 or nine, shot and murdered, like, three different people... And then killed himself, and he was outed on the radio as being gay, and so that caused him to kill himself in his cell, and just all, the whole Mm. thing was, like, terrible yuck. And it wasn't, like, at no point during the series did I feel like, oh, he's not responsible for his actions, Mm -hmm. but you can, I feel like you can see a very clear narrative of how sort of being failed in an educational and therapeutic and just sort of, like, yeah, an educational and therapeutic sense as an adolescent. And then also getting, uh, they didn't call it TBI. They called it something else. Cerebro CP something. But basically, you know, traumatic, traumatic brain, injury brain injury from right. multiple concussions over and over and over again. And that's a little different than not getting an education. But still, like, a lot of these kids aren't getting not only a decent education, but getting taught how to cope with their emotions at all. Oh, yeah. And then it's like, you can just see how, like, there are these very key ways, violent sports or, or violent brain damaging sports notwithstanding, that sort of set people up en masse to be maladjusted murderers. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, um, oh man. Okay, so that's a, that's another thing. And it's, I am sure that I am not the first person to say this, but it's probably not that kosher of a thing to say. So I haven't heard a ton of people say this, but you know how I, how I was saying that that guy was saying when you're a young black man, your options are prison or military. And you yeah. said, or be really good at football. Yeah. Well, if you look at like the traumatic brain injury involved in football, 
basically the opportunities that we give black men in America are kill yourself for us somehow a bunch of different kinds of blood sports yeah for sure i definitely thought about that the whole time watching that too like they pick and like it's not like he was that disenfranchised but they do they pick on men of color who don't know what to do with their lives or who yeah whether they don't feel like they have options or they don't have options like just that's who they get and especially yeah. a, with, with a sport like that you get them when they're like young and that's all mm-hmm. they know and that's all they train for like, mm-hmm. it's, it's insane how, you know. You know, blood sports and, and the the options that, that people are given in our... Blood sports, prisons, and the war. Yeah. I mean, it's just like... <sighs> I think a lot of this stuff is hard to look at because blah, 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 we're the land of the free. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to look in the eyes that, honestly, we're the land of the free for so, so few people. Right. And then everybody else is just different levels of not free. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So that's super fun. And then let's see. Okay. Prison to uh, school to prison. So then there's also just the the increase. So Mm -hmm. in in 1907, the U.S. prison population was about 357,000. Okay. That's a an amount that's a almost reasonable amount. Almost reasonable amount. Almost. And then in 1980, it was a little over 500,000. 1985, you know, you've got the war on drugs, you've got the crack epidemic, stuff's starting to really pick up. You've got about um, 750,000. By 1990, you've got uh, 1 million... You've almost got... That's more um, than doubled. Yeah. In 10 years. That's nuts. 20. Oh, from 1980 to 1990, it's 10 Oh, years. you're right. Yeah, that is doubled. That is doubled. From 1980 to 1990, that's doubled. Yeah. And, I mean, you've got the crack em- epidemic, which was highly racialized and highly targeted and yeah. highly criminalized. And so I think that that's a big part of it. And then by 2000, you have 2 million people in prison. Jesus Christ. And then in 2001, when, you know, we're dealing with uh, the um, 9-11 stuff and, and you know, we've already got our prison industrial complex, but stuff starts getting a little bit more intense. Mm-hmm. The African-American prison population in 2001 was 878,400. Jesus it made up almost half of the prison population. Just with one group. Even though I'm pretty sure that black Americans make up 13% of the regular population. Like, they oh, are... Okay. okay, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. 13% they of are... the regular population and then more than half of a prison population. No, no, uh, just under half. Oh, just under half, sorry. Yeah, but still, absolutely overrepresented in prisons. Jeez. And we're going to get into some shit with, like, voting mm-hmm. and um, and how, like, the institutionalized prison stuff is is just weird leftovers of, of slavery and the South and pre, pre-American Civil War awesome. stuff. But, <sighs> you know, you just look at those numbers and you're like, okay. That's a huge uptick. Why? Yeah. Like, this can't, this can't be good. No. Not a good <laughs> sign, for sure. This, this is not a good thing. And so, mm, so mm. that's, that is a thing to think about. And then, again, because this is the intro, I'd like to do the history of prisons. Yeah. Okay. The funnest part. This is actually, so this is <laughs> probably the first thing that I actually, before... I started outlining new I wanted to include uh-huh. <laughs> and everything before that was like, oh, I researched this and ah, oh, shit, I got to put this in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this, this I knew going in. So we're going to talk about prison history specifically in the U.S., but okay. it, it's actually kind of become an everywhere thing. Not everywhere, everywhere, but like the U.S. model is used in a lot of other places. Yeah. So we 
we have to momentarily set aside the history of slavery. Okay, just just for a moment. Yeah. So so like I said, taking out slavery and racism from the history of the U.S. prison system is both racist and stupid. Yes. But <laughs> it is more than just racism and slavery. Okay. Uh, if it was just racism and slavery, then it would be racism and slavery. But it's not. It's prison. It's prison. <laughs> not just racism and slavery Which means anymore. that there's racism and slavery and other stuff. Yay. Okay. <laughs> it's slavery. Only white people get to play too. <laughs> sorry that's horrid um <laughs> so in early american history mm-hmm. and i kind of i kind of talked about this at the very beginning at the top of the episode jails were used to house folks awaiting trial mm-hmm. or debtors right we had debtors prison which you know has its big old history for but it also was like it was a way of dealing with the poor mm-hmm. and it was also a way of dealing with folks who couldn't pay their court fees Right. Which is, again, dealing with the poor, but it's a different kind of dealing with the poor. And so as America grew and we became more populated, and also I think that generally speaking, like the hardcoreness of humanity kind of was going down and Uh we were starting to think a little bit more empathetically to our fellow man. Right. We can't just kill somebody for theft. (laughs) Yeah, we can't just kill somebody for theft. So we started trying to think long-term crime solutions. Mm-hmm. And usually before then, before before this point, uh, they were immediate punishments, like public beatings or banishment actually mm-hmm. was a really common thing in early American history. Or just capital punishment. We just kill them. Yeah. And a lot more crimes were death penalty offenses. So, you know, burglary and theft would be deal- dealt with by just killing you. Right. But more Americans, more need to deal with crime. Mm-hmm. So we start thinking about it. We start yeah. thinking. And we start thinking about crime in a, can we reform and rehabilitate people? Yeah. Instead of just killing them. And this is where the first modern prisons begin. Mm-hmm. So in the 1820s, there's two new models of incarceration Focusing on rehabilitation through confinement, silence, and hard labor. Okay. And we a little bit talked about this in the Attica episode, but this is where we're going into it. Okay. So there was the Auburn model, which was a congregate system, Uh which allowed some contact between prisoners because it focused on labor. Right. And these were the, mm -hmm, some contact, and these were the chain gang models. Mm. So so it was like the early forced labor systems. And when you went back to your cell, you were expected to fully sit in silence. Mm-hmm. But when you were out, you could interact with people. Yeah. Now, again, it wasn't like highly social and there was all sorts of problems, but there was some interaction. And then there was the Pennsylvania model. And so this started in... Ah, it's it, it it also started in the early 1820s. Mm-hmm. So in 1829, Quakers started the Eastern State Penitentiary, okay. which actually it took up a whole city block and eight years to build. Dang. And this model was a lot like this prison. Uh-huh. I'll probably find a picture for this as well to post on our Instagram. This prison looked an awful lot like what Attica looked like. Oh, really? So it had, you know, it had the center, like the Times Square mm-hmm. center, and then these these jutting off halls where one person in the center could keep an eye on all of the halls. Right. But so the Quakers, and they're still around, actually, the Quakers, but, you know, they were a little bit important in the founding of american history and had some a little bit white nighty tendencies but were generally on the right side of history Mm -hmm. they focused entirely on solitary confinement because they believed that isolation and silence allowed time to reflect on one's wrongdoings and god's judgment okay so you can see the well-intentioned yeah (laughs) yeah but especially, you know, when we get more modern, we're definitely going to talk about some of the implications of solitary confinement on the human psyche. Which is not good. 
It's bad. It's very, very, very bad. Now, in the 1820s, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Maryland all build state prisons. And then in the 1830s, we get Ohio, New Jersey, and Michigan. And then in the 1840s, we get Minnesota, Indiana, and Wisconsin. And most of these were the Auburn model. Okay. Which kind of makes sense because chain gangs. Yeah. We have forced labor early in the American penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that said, both of these a lot these models are actually alive and kind of thriving in the current shape of our prison industry. The the Auburn model and then the Pennsylvania model? Yeah. Yeah. They they were they were pretty similar, only one was a lot more solitary. Yeah. Um, the Pennsylvania model, you could have some labor, but they were silent solo activities like weaving. Right, okay. And shoemaking and stuff like that. Right. But, you know, breaking rocks in the hot sun. Yeah. I fought the law and the law won was the Auburn model. Right. But yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> and that's that's our history. Woo. So, you know, easy mode history. I like easy mode history. Yeah. This is just the intro. This is this is nothing too heavy. I mean it's heavy, but not the big man, heavy. our other stuff is gonna weigh on your soul because it's weighing on mine. Great. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Super fun. My favorite. I love prison stuff. I, I don't love Yeah, I super just don't think I'm gonna love anything about this. Yeah, that's why we're having week on, week off. Yes. <laughs> Yay! Because this is too many. Too many awful. It's too many. It's so big. <sighs> so big, so awful. It's so big, so awful. But but yeah, that's our <sighs> that's our intro. I I hope I hope that I gave you guys enough to work off of, enough. You know, if you if you listen to Attica and you listen to the intro, I think I think everything we go to from here will make sense. I agree. I don't I don't think we're gonna I I will do my best to not say anything that you don't already have the context to understand. Okay, great. That's a good deal. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a person who's giving information ought to yes you're right that ought to that ought to just be part of the territory you're correct so uh, so i am i'm nervous i'm actually i'm very nervous this has been i just i want to do it justice you want to do a good job i know that we don't have the hugest listenership but I mean, even if we don't have that now, we might have it later. And also, just the people who listen to now, I think, are valuable and important people that I want to tell truth to. Yes, (laughs) that I want to tell truth to. (laughs) And so I just, uh, this is a really, really important issue to me and has, I guess, kind of been a, a direction that I have been facing my whole life. Yeah. Is is caring about issues like this. And and so it's just really, really extra important that that I'm doing a good job in researching and conveying this information. And so, you know, any any feedback is obviously welcome as always, but it's extra special welcome while I am going crazy researching the stuff that is bad. The stuff that is bad. The stuff that is so bad, but yeah, I hope that I hope that that was fun. I actually thought that the British Navy stuff was kind of entertaining. The British Navy stuff was hella entertaining. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. There's something that makes it funny about it happening to old timey people. Yeah, versus just like terrible and sad. Yeah, because like, could you imagine if that was going on today? We'd be like, oh my god, that's so fucked, and we'd be furious. Mm-hmm. But. It being, you know, 200 years old, we're like, ha, ha. Sucks for you. Because <laughs> we're terrible. But, um. Yep. Pretty much. But yeah. Maybe I should just include old stories every once in a while to. Make us feel better. Lighten the mood. I agree with that completely. <laughs> it's okay. Old people were suffering too, guys. 
Everyone's life sucked. It's all right. <laughs> Everyone's life sucked. It's fine. Ugh. But yeah, I wish you all well, and I appreciate you listening, and I think that's it. Follow us on social media. All of the socials. <laughs> all of the socials. All of the, also, socials. All of the social. Uh, oh, you know who I should I should thank? You know who became a patron? Who? My mom. Oh, your mom. <laughs> I love your mom, and she loves us. My adorable mom. And now all of our listeners get to love my mom, too. Yay! <laughs> Because my mom's been on an episode where where we got big nerd. <laughs> now all of my friends get to love my mom too. Yeah. I've really I've I have really appreciated all of the feedback about my mom because it's been absolutely darling. Yes. So, I appreciate I'm glad that, that y'all liked our big nerdy because that was definitely a little bit different from our normal show style, but it was a little different. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was great too. Yeah. All right. Is that it? I think that's it. Okay. Cool. I love you. Bye. I love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>